Hey, man, just to make sure that uh, we don't double up, what race are you? Welsh, mostly. No, 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 no. I mean on the show. Yeah, I'm on the show. No, no, your character on the show. Oh, no, of course he's not Welsh. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, well, then what is he? Who? Y your character. Oh, half orc, half French. Oh, dang it, mine too. One of us has to start over on this build. Not it. Ugh. Ugh. All right, we both have to make new characters. Dude, let's just throw them together, you know, whatever. We'll do it during the theme song. Hang on, I gotta figure out which serious station we're on. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it! Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here, I started out in 5e. And me, I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year. We're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How to range? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here? Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kinda drab. This ain't one, it's the Character Lab. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And you know that's compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week we're bringing new characters to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content and scoring against a predefined table of criteria. It's then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey, I'm Garen. It's Dan here. This week we are presenting just one facet of a multimedia team that you should know and love. Their name, of course, is Crit Academy. Justin, Brandon, and Ian are the hosts of a long-running podcast that, as of this recording, has over 120 episodes for you to binge. It's a D&D talk show that provides discussion on rules and content, while also giving new ideas that you can bring to your table. In their long run, they've made written content as well as a best-selling book, Unearthed Tips and Tricks, and a couple of subclasses that we have in store today. So please check out the show notes and our social media for all of the links for that good stuff. Yeah, we actually were lucky enough to be featured on their show back in our early, early days as a lab podcast. So if you want to check their feed, you could probably find us there. We actually did a lab battle with them, and they won. But we have been uh, friends with those guys ever since, and we are so happy that they have been doing so well. And they have created some really fun content. And Dan, I have built a character using some of that content, because that's how the show goes. I hope you know that. But the kicker is, what's the backstory? The Tritons of the City of Glass thrive as successful merchants, fierce warriors, and ruling nobles, sometimes all at once. The Pumanath bloodline are those such people. For generations, they have held the City of Glass in the palm of their hands. The secret of their success is the innovative way they handle their young. When a Triton in this family is four years old, it enters a two-year program structured to teach them everything about their family's history and goals, filling the child with the necessary ideals to become efficient member of the family. They are also taught to defend themselves and survive in the wild. At the age of six, the child is taken far from home and left with only necessary supplies to last out the week. When Chorus was left in a foreign ocean by his parents, he killed a shark on his second morning and shared the meat with the shark's children as an early lunch. No, I don't mean brunch. Tritons don't mess with no frou-frou brunch. 
On the evening of his second day, he hailed a passing ship and asked to join the crew. They welcomed him aboard and gave him the duties no one else wanted. He cleaned, carried, buffed, skewered, and swung his way into their respect. That night over drinks, yes, he was six years old and drinking, he convinced the crew that the captain was weak. Who would let a random six-year-old join the crew anyway? They should probably mutiny. By the third day, he was captain of his own ship and took serious issue with the way they chose to battle. Swords were too primitive and guns were all right, but only using them as a mechanical device was one-dimensional and daft. Hailing from the elemental plane of water, Chorus knew that magic was all around them and just needed to be focused properly. He took the rifle they gave him and channeled all the magic he could into the barrel. The resulting blast blew a four-foot panel of the hull off and almost sank the ship. On the fourth day, he managed to dock his damaged ship in a local port and bought some potions and a nice dark bread that was kind of sweet. On the fifth day, he figured out how he messed up that magic gun blast and scolded himself for wasting a day. Days six to the present have cemented his legacy as a new member of the Pumanath bloodline. So I present to you, Chorus Pumanath, a level six gun mage triton of the Outlander background. And the gun mage is a sorceress origin that our boys at Crit Academy have written up. And no, I'm not going to tell you anymore now. You got to wait. Oh man, Garen, you chose the gun mage. I was very, very tempted, but alas, I went with, well, let me tell you in the backstory. Aegis Falmer was a great high elf adventurer and widely regarded as a hero and savior of the Feywild in the early days of the high elves, where they faced many natural and dangerous predators. Having been the most skilled ranger in all of the land, there was not a square mile of the mostly barren Faerunian landscape that Aegis had not stepped foot on, nor beast, monstrosity, or aberration he had not conquered. That was, until he reached the assault on Merimydra. It was a mysterious village located in what is known as the Middle Dark, that is, halfway between surface level and complete darkness. Nevertheless, the proximity of the elven court of Conmenthor made this a particular location of interest when he received word that the cavernous drow city was under attack by angry ogres, a type of giant kin humanoid that was brutish, lazy, stupid, but also notoriously murderous and aggressive. Aegis knew that he had to act quickly, and act quickly he did. He made his way 10 miles beneath the surface of the Daggerdale, right in the thick of a massacre of drow by the ogres. Aegis did what he did best and popped off shots here and there, strategically eliminating the large creatures one by one. Not before the giants caused complete carnage in the underground city, nearly wiping out all of the drow that once resided there. Aegis made his way through piles of body, surveying the horrors that had occurred there. Then he heard a deep, sobbing sound and quickly drew his bow and took cover. He slowly made his way closer to the sound, only to be met with the sight of a slender orc female with her body draped over that of one of the fallen, mourning her loss. Aegis slowly lowered his bow. For the first time in his life, he felt a sense of humanity for something other than his own kind. He approached the towering female figure and placed his hand on hers as an offering of empathy. Fast forward 16 months. Yes, that is the full gestation period for an orc female. Drokeg was born, half elf, half orc. He would only be identified as the latter. And unfortunately, that's where the joyous love story ends, I'm afraid. Aegis had been spending the last 16 months self-loathing and isolating his pregnant lover in an underground holding cell not far from where they met. 
Once the child was born, Aegis disowned his newborn as well as his baby's mother, as he said he could never have it known that he had a child with such a monster. He feared his reputation would be tarnished and that he would be imprisoned for life. So, he imprisoned Drokeg and his mother in his underground hell for years. Over time, more half-breeds made their way down into the holding cells and joined them. They all bared a slight resemblance to that of Aegis. Aegis knew that he needed a way to ensure that none of his loved children got out and exposed him for what he truly was. So he offered his eldest son, Drokeg, delicious fresh dwarven flesh every day if he acted as a bouncer of his underground lair, ensuring that no one got in and no one got out. He had superior strength to that of his kin with grappling skills, and he could hold creatures larger than himself with relative ease and move them at will. He continued to grow stronger and stronger until one day, the fleshy offerings from his father ceased. He's now on a mission to find his father and kill him. Then he will free his brothers and sisters as well as his mother, knowing that they are safe. He is a level six half ogre path of the brawler barbarian with the former enforcer background. The subclass can be found in the Path of the Brawler supplement by Crit Academy, and the race and background can be found in Backgrounds of Faerun, Nations of Destruction by Brian Holmes. Nice. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, you give me a real hard time about that time I wrote the backstory with the menage a trois with the old gods, but I think this creepy story about the deadbeat dad keeping children locked in a cave and making one of the kids be the jailer for the other kids, that's a lot more messed up. Yeah, it really is kind of messed up, but this adventurer, man, he just couldn't keep the snake in the cage. (laughs) Also, your backstories are fun, but homie, you spent longer talking about your character's dad than I talked about my character this week. That's true. All right, I'm just getting warmed up because if our listeners don't recall, this is the last episode of the month. And that means this is our super competitive episode with a prize on the line. The Critic Academy is personally going to be delivering via Sending Stone at the end of this episode. So, Dan, I just want you to know I'm listening to you and I'm criticizing you already. But let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsors, who we love, and that is Tabletop Loot. Because they are full of great products and even more heart. Their store has shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of dice. What really makes this place special is they regularly support gaming in schools by having sales where every dice set purchased means one will be donated to a school gaming program. And what's more, their dice selection can't be beat. Of course, we don't have time to list them all, so I'm going to talk about the one that I would use when playing Chorus Pumanath, and that is the Soul Stone. With green, blue, gold, red, and purples all blended together in this semi-translucent dice set with gold numbers on top, I mean, that's showing off the chromatic burst. A little bit of a preview that comes with that Gun Mage Blast. So guys, when you click that link in our show notes and get a set of dice for your next character, use the code LABRAT to get 15% off your total purchase. This will work on everything except those metal Norse foundry dice. So grab some fresh loot and root a toot toot. Well, thank you, Tabletop Loot, for that message, and whoever the kind sir was that read it. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is where I'll explain the show's format, and if you aren't, go ahead and skip ahead about 20 seconds. We have nine categories in which we've prepared arguments for this week, and in each of those categories, we will state why our character deserves a score between negative two and positive two. A positive two is writing a sweet 90s hip-hop theme like we have right now, and a negative two is our dubstep monster voice. Welcome to the D&D 5e Character Lab Podcast. Now, finally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other to roll the score in which we're arguing for as a charisma saving throw using the charisma score of our character 
And then at the end of the episode, whoever has the most points wins. Simple enough. So the first category is melee, and I'm going to go ahead and start us off. Oh, boy. I have a barbarian, but I'm only going to be arguing a plus one here. I have two attacks. Uh-huh. One of the focal points of the Path of the Brawler is the unarmed strike. So it's a 1d6 plus three. I also have rage, which will give an additional two points on that damage, so 1d6 plus five. It also gives advantage to strength checks, which is especially important for the Path of the Brawler because grappling is the focal point. So you have advantage on grapples. That is very important because if you successfully grapple a creature as a bonus action, you can use another unarmed strike. So you get two 1d6 plus potentially five plus two attacks. So uh, it would be three total attacks if you took that. And then if I don't feel like grappling, I've also got a double-bladed scimitar, which I don't know if we've ever featured on the show, but it's a plus six to hit. Deals out 2d4 plus three slashing damage. So I think this is worthy of a plus one as I have a multitude of options available to me. And also, this is relatively unique because we don't really highlight grappling too much on this show. Yeah, that is true. I like your variety there. I like the double-bladed scimitar. Big respect for taking a 2d4 weapon when you're using a barbarian so you've actually won my respect with that one so i'm not going to be a jerk about this this is definitely a plus one so dan before i give you my argument for melee we are in agreement that when you have something that's a minus one right depending on what that something is no 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 we've never said that before we've always just said when you have something keep going there buddy well i mean i have an unarmed strike just like you we're both just punching right no no your unarmed strike is what it's a plus two to hit. Did you, what, did you need something else? Plus two to hit and does what? Uh, according to my character sheet, it does zero bludgeoning damage. Yeah, so that's a minus two. No, so, but, but I'm hitting them. You are hitting them and they laugh at you. I'm hitting in melee, I'm attacking. And I think that's what's important here. <laughs> it is absolutely important when you deal damage. So you'll take a minus two, but take us into ranged. What kind of damage are you dealing from afar? Enough messing around here. I knew I was going to get that minus two, but I'm a gun mage sorcerer. I've got a rifle, as stated in my backstory, and that is a plus four to hit, two D10 plus one piercing damage. Only one attack, but that damage is pretty high. What are you arguing? I think with a potential 21 damage at level 6, that this is a 1. Uh, I'm going to be arguing for a 1-2. I've got two attacks. I have a javelin, plus 6 to hit, 1d6 plus 3. That could deal out 18, but if I were raging, which I get to do four times per long rest, it would be 1d6 plus 5, dealing out 22 damage, even Steven. Good. I was hoping you were going to say that. I mean, it was one damage difference. I didn't know how hot you were coming on this competition here. Moving into Burninating, you may think I've got nothing, but I'm arguing a zero because essentially I have key-empowered strikes. Really? Yes, so there is a feature of the Path of the Brawler called Titanic Strength, which means that strikes count as magical for the means of overcoming resistances and immunities. Dang. I think that's a nice round zero. Wow, I was not anticipating that. Okay, I can't argue with the zero. I am going to be arguing for a plus two here. I have got Firebolt, Acid Splash, Chill Touch, Chromatic Orb. I have also got a cantrip specifically designed for the Gun Mage called the Chromatic Burst. This is range of 120 feet, or so you think. I release a burst of magical energy from my gun at a creature that I can see within range. Range spell attack against the target. On hit, the target takes 2d4 
damage. After you roll the damage, choose one of those D4. The number on the die selected determines the damage type, which is poison, cold, fire, or lightning. At fifth level, this actually becomes 4D4. So it's a 4D4 cantrip and it randomizes the elemental damage. That is pretty cool. I like that cantrip. I like the random feature of it because it could be good, it could be bad. So that always kind of strikes me as, as fun. Yeah, I really like that as well, and it does set it apart from Chromatic Orb. Again, like you said, that uh, damage is randomized, so it doesn't give the player the opportunity to maximize on any vulnerabilities of their opponent. So super cool. Big ups to my boys at Crit Academy for that one. I'm glad you agree because it actually gets better. At sixth level, you get a new burst. These are the effectively the features of this origin. You are bursting things out of your gun. And at sixth level, when you spend three sorcery points, you use your action to release a massive burst of energy. Straight line, 100 feet long, five feet wide, that blasts in the direction you choose. You also choose Acid, Cold, Fire, Lightning, Poison, or Thunder. Each creature in the line must make a deck save. They take 5d8 damage on a fail, half as much on a successful save. And when I use this, you may spend an additional sorcery points to increase this effects by 1d8 for every two additional sorcery points. This is your nuclear option. No kidding, and quite powerful at that. So you can only spend additional sorcery points equal to your charisma modifier, but still, that rounds out my burninating category, and I think this is a plus two easily. It is easily a plus two, but here's the thing. You're rolling for that plus two. Okay, that was smart. This is one of my strongest categories, but I am a sorcerer, so I've got a 16, plus three to my charisma, only need a 14 or better. I can do this, is what I'm telling myself. Come on, baby. Oh, I rolled a nine. Take your plus one, and let's move on. <sighs> moves okay. into control so i imagine the gun mage also does fairly well in the control category absolutely i am gonna blow you out of the water in the control category first of all gust of wind all right all right yeah 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 we are all laughing second fog cloud color spray true strike i've got the spell pyrotechnics it blinds the targets it dazzles them Ooh. I used my ability score improvement to take the spell Sniper Feet, which is a feat that I absolutely love. That ignores cover. It boosts your range. Perfect when you are a gun sorcerer. And I have another burst. This is one of the bursts that you get at second level, where you expend one sorcery point and you get a plus two to your spell attack rolls until the end of your turn. That's guaranteeing me some hits on my control. I'm thinking that this is another plus two for me. Ah. Got a lot of options, Dan. You do, you do. A lot of spells. Yeah, you're a sorcerer. I guess that's where you're going to get him from. All right, all right. I'll give you the plus two. I'll concede. I'm arguing a plus one. Really, this is where this barbarian shines. What the Crit Academy boys did was they imagined up a barbarian that is actually pretty helpful to their allies in that they can control the battlefield by grappling foes. So, Garen, did you know that you can grapple two foes at the same time? I did not know that. I know Ombre Roto could do that. Ombre Roto. So you can actually grapple as many foes as you have hands. So oh. little known fact in 5e, and this is something that actually I will later not be proven wrong like I have been several times. But this one, I did my research and it is true. I can also grapple creatures one size larger than me. So as a half ogre, I would be able to hold down two large creatures at once, which is pretty darn cool. 
And another part of my titanic strength feature is that I can drag creatures around at my normal movement speed. Uh, Normally, when you are grappling a creature and you move, your movement speed is halved. Uh, That is not the case for the Path of the Brawler. And so I can move around with two foes in my grip at 40 feet move speed. That is kind of crazy to visualize. Yeah, I mean, and it's super controlling. And we'll get into that a little bit more when we get into ally assist, but One more thing in my control category is my feature of my background, which is the former Enforcer background, and the feature is called the Old Boss. Basically, there are things that need to get done during a campaign that some people don't want to be associated with, and luckily for you, there are ways to contact the underbelly of a city. So, your former boss has made many contacts in lots of cities. You can use your knowledge of how such criminal organizations work to request work be done. Blah, 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 blah. You've got a secret network, and you can get stuff done that you may not want to be associated with, which I think is a little bit different than some of these variants that you see this sometimes, where you've got a criminal network or whatever this one specifically states it with things that you don't want to be otherwise associated with so i think that's kind of cool uh, a way of keeping your hands clean I, I like that you put that in control i'm with you on that so you have that and you have the grappling thing am i correct i will be recycling quite a bit this episode because this is primarily focused on grappling but grappling is very very multi-dimensional so i have advantage on the grapple i am able to hold two people at once and i can drag them around at my movement speed that's very controlling and, and can't be discounted that much okay now remind me do you have any sort of advantage to grapple yes so you do have advantage on grapple checks only while i'm raging let me just make that clear it's while you're raging you have advantage on those strength checks well but when else are you going to drag two large creatures around the battlefield you're obviously raging if you're doing that because that's a crazy person thing to do right So yes, this is warranted for a plus one, especially because of the cool visualization. Now, moving into the tankiness category, so how well can I take a hit, right? The armor class for this guy, a 14, so that's his low point, but he does have 96 HP at six level now i did this because i took the tough feet obviously i'm imagining a guy that's getting in the mix this much making himself extremely vulnerable to his foes you've got to have a little bit of stupidity which he does don't worry but also you have to be tough in order to back that up and he is a half ogre so i felt like he's just a little bit beefier than your average homeboy and so that 96 hp AC of 14 combined with the rage resistances, I think is a plus one. Yeah, I, I I keep wanting to argue, but you're making a very reasonable argument, and I know what I have on my side of the table. So you get your plus one. I'm also pushing for a plus one, and I got to make my case here. I got an AC of 11. I'm a sorcerer. What do you want? I've got 42 hit points. I'm a D6 class. Ooh. But I've got Blade Ward. I have got Shield. I have got Blink, which is a kind of a randomized tankiness. It could be really good. I've got Guardian of the Depths as a Triton, so I get resistance to cold damage, and I ignore drawbacks of deep underwater environment, because we know how often that happens. And the one cool thing I have to offer in this category is my Swift Burst, where I shoot a blast out of my gun to propel me in a direction. So basically, I spend a sorcery point to take dash or disengage as a bonus action, and my jump distance is doubled for the turn. Now, if you were to tell me that that was a reaction, I'd get down with you, but because you said bonus action, hard to to argue this in the tankiness category, my friend. But it's really good at putting distance between yourself and an enemy, especially with that jump distance being doubled. If you could get somewhere on that turn, that would be huge. Uh, So here's where I'm standing on this. You've got 
less than half of the HP I've got. You've got a terrible AC. You've got some spells that can help y'all, but like you said, one of them is more of a randomized tankiness, not a surefire thing. And then you've got some circumstantial stuff going on. And then you bring in a feature from your archetype, which is awesome, but not applicable to the tankiness category. Way more applicable to the control category. This is so applicable. How is that tanky? Because I can take dash as a bonus action. I can do 60 feet in a turn. Not reaction. So what are you, how are you avoiding damage by doing this? Well, I avoid future damage. They close the distance on me. I back off 60 feet and then I pop them with a shot. Yeah, but what if a CR5 creature deals out 30 damage to your 42 HP? You have no reaction to do- do you have shield? I, I said I had shield. I do effectively have an AC of 16 as long as I've got spell slots. It's tough for me to even give you a zero because your AC with shield is 16, and even then you still have 42 Don't HP. Don't you try and tell me this is minus one category, because that's such baloney. Well, you've got a bunch of circumstantial stuff, which is better than nothing, but you are bringing in something that is control into tankiness that's sort of applicable, like you said, for future, but... In the here and now, you have very little, except shield, that can protect you, and even with shield, you're not all that well off. You have an AC of 14, and you have no means of escape. I at least have means of escape. I've got rage resistances and 96 HP, so I'm taking half damage on bludgeoning, slashing, piercing, and I have a ton of HP in my pool. You don't need to explain Barbarian to me. I have a 50% chance of not even being on the battlefield for a turn when I use blank. 50% chance. Yeah, I'm impossible to hit. I'll tell you what, all right? Honor system here, because I can't see your dice. You roll three d20. If two of them are 11 or more, I get a plus one also. All right. Seven. Dang. Four. All right, you lost. Oh, come on. Come on. What was the third roll? Ten even. Oh, for crying out loud. I'll take a zero. <laughs> I did not say that a zero was what I was going to concede to. That is a you zero. You are getting a zero no matter what. You are getting a minus one, my friend. You no, I'm getting a zero. Rolls. You lost all three of those rolls. You agreed to a plus one. I'm not taking a minus one. The gamble was I would either grant you a plus one or you were going to get a minus one. No, we never agreed to that. I'm taking a zero. No, you're not taking a zero. You are less than 50% my HP pool. You are not one point less than me. Not even close. I am taking a zero on this category because I have so many options. I totally do not co-sign this but take your zero let's move on how do you help your friends mr gun mage i have wall of water end of argument what about you okay so what you argue minus one all right cool i am going to argue a zero here it's not the best argument but one thing that you can do when you grapple two targets at once you can move them right into no. the exact location that you need to. Oh, yeah, you can. Move them right into the exact location you need you for the ranger to take their sharpshooter Oh, shot. for crying out loud. Yeah, so I think we both have something better than nothing. Let's move on. Okay, minus ones all around. So before we go into the balance, I do want to take a quick moment, and we're going to read another five-star review that we received uh, back in the beginning of May, and it's from someone called Sorcerer's Apprentice, and they titled, It Just Keeps Getting Better. I just started listening, and every episode is better than the last one. I especially like the occasional use of third-party materials. This listener is going to be so surprised later when it's almost all third-party material, which before I never considered permitting. Not only have they proven to me that some third-party material is not broken and overpowered, but they reminded me that it's all about the story. Thank you. I love this review. Same here. And guys, if you want your review featured on this show, go ahead, hop onto iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and you too will be featured right here in the Ally Assist category. But let's move on. 
to the balance category, meaning how balanced in ability scores and otherwise is your character build. I'm arguing a plus one. I've got a strength of 16, dexterity of 14, constitution of 14, intelligence of eight. This guy is not smart. Wisdom of nine, charisma of 13, passive perception of nine, proficiency in athletics and intimidation. I do have advantage on those strength checks, advantage on dexterity saving throws as my danger sense permits. As I mentioned, AC of 14 and 96 HP. I think this is fairly balanced, but that uh, intelligence and wisdom are a glaring deficiency. And as we've covered in previous episodes, that covers quite a bit of skills. So he would not be your best detective in the party. I don't think we need to really get uh, brutal with this one. I think we can go one for one. I have a strength of nine, dex of 12, con of 13, intelligence of 13, wisdom of 13, and charisma of 16. I've got four proficiencies. I got my constitution and charisma saving throws. I mean, I'm right there with you. Obviously, I built this guy to be capable and smart. We've proven he's very flimsy, very weak. But he's got that good charisma, and uh, he's set up nicely when he hits level 8 to probably bump his con and his intelligence, I think, is what I would end up doing. Fair point. So let's move right into our charisma scenario this week. And it's from our $10 patron, Joshua Slade, and it reads... You've been fighting alongside your allies for, well, an appropriate amount of time, and you've finally come to the end of the road. The big boss, the monster who's caused all the trouble in the realm, is right in front of you. You've been in combat with the beast, and whilst some of your allies are downed on the ground, you determine that it is time to take this monster down, even if it means you going down with it. You land a series of attacks, striking the beast across the chest, finally driving a dagger through its throat. Triumph. You get that moment of relief before it turns to dread, as you see the blue blood pouring out of its throat turn red. The bald skull grows long and luscious blonde hair, and the gross, contorted face turn into that of a young lady. That's right, you're cradling the body of your party's cleric. She's dead, and as you turn around, you see the beast standing there. Or maybe it's your friend. What, what are you going to do? Okay, so obviously this monster pulled some sort of switcheroo on us. Either way, I have really got to do something nasty here because now I also don't have a cleric. So I got to get creative, and I got a 13 intelligence. I think I could pull off a good plan. So with my plus three to deception, I start to plead for my life, and I say... At least give me a token from each of them before I die. Because I'm acting like I'm about to lose here. But when I say that, I cast Suggestion. So the boss, leaning into my suggestion, agrees and starts gathering items for me from each of my dead friends. While I use Mage Hand to take the dagger out of my cleric's neck. And I put it behind my back while I'm cradling her. With the boss's back turn, I cast True Strike while Mage Hand is handing potions down all the throats of my friends that he's not looking at. I then Mage Hand the dagger in a sweet juggling motion, and I land it in my hand, which I throw with advantage right into the back of his neck. Then I Mage Hand high-five my party as they all pop up and we finish him off. Did I tell you I took Mage Hand as a cantrip? Not at all how that works, but what are you arguing? I, I mean, I feel like the smoothness of this is a plus two, but realistically it's a plus one there's so much going on and like so many <laughs> actions being taken like it's broken i love it and it's fun can we do a zero because i mean you broke a lot of stuff but he's using his actions to gather items from the down party members yeah and like each time you use an action you're downing 
a potion per- down this person's neck. Like, that's your action. Meanwhile, you're completely vulnerable. <laughs> My plus three to deception. That's a five modified. <laughs> take your zero. Take yeah, I'll zero. definitely take a zero. If that roll was better, I would have tried, but nope. <laughs> All right. I'm arguing a minus, uh, minus two. All right. Uh oh. Because here's the deal. I would be raging. <laughs> yeah. I'd grapple it, and then I would do investigation on the beast. What? Yeah, because I need to know if that's the beast, if it's, like, my friend. And we all know that rage gives double proficiency. It gives expertise in investigation, right? <laughs> that's, okay. Yep, so you're going the Mage Hand route on this one. I get it. So I've got the grapple going. I got the expertise in investigation, which... You know, with my negative one, two intelligence is like, you know, a five, you know, plus five to the roll, you know, blind rage investigation. Minus two. I'm okay. I, I mean, I, I know for a fact I have nothing here. So okay. I'm going to take it right into the aggressive scenario. So I'm going to minus one here. I actually have something that I would do. So I would again, I would be raging here uh, and seeing red. So I would use Reckless Attack uh, and just put it all on the line, get advantage on the attack against this beast, and try to finish the job. Okay, so that's minus one worthy because that is a plan. You're just going to try and kill it. Guys, if you don't like what I did here, this scenario was not built for a barbarian whilst raging because this barbarian just finished killing something, so there's no question I'd be raging. So there's no smooth way of handling this. Like, it's definitely kill, 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 and go after the best way of killing. So that's all I had in mind. Very fair. But at least I'm, I'm glad you were honest about how you'd handle it. That's a real answer to that, though. So I say, now it's a real party. And I say that with my plus six to intimidation, which is a modified 25. Woo! And I throw up a wall of water, but I do it in like a block formation. So it just lands on us as just a box of water, which I can breathe in, so I'm fine. But he's kind of disoriented, at least for a moment. Then on my next turn, I'm actually counting turns on this one, I swift burst out with my gun while dragging my friend's body to safety. Should the boss then escape, on my following turn, I am going to fire off a shot at him and then quicken spell to cast Melfs. Because the best Melfs are fast Melfs. That's Melfs Minute Meteors for you. It's been a while since I brought the Melfs back to the table, and I think Melfs are the way to solve this problem. When in doubt, bring in the MELFs. Now, Garen, uh, you will get the plus one. If you can give me what a 25 intimidation check to let's get this party started sounds like. Because nobody's ever said let's get this party started, and I've been intimidated by it. Let's get this party started. It's not intimidating. You sound like Nicolas Cage, but yeah, that's fine. Did the lizard slurping do anything for it? It just made it more Nick Cage. Okay. What about a Fred Schneider? You know what I mean? B-52s? Give it a shot. Let's get this party started! Oh, definitely. That's definitely a 25. Sold. Plus one. All right, so let's bring it into the X Factor. This is the unscored category where we talk about whether or not you'd like to play this character in a campaign. So, Karen, I'll let you start. I like this gun mage. This is fun. I, honestly, I'm not in love with guns in my D&D. I'm such a Wizards and Dragons nerd. I like edged weapons and stuff like that. But I like the way they blast out the gun. 
I, I feel like this is very anime inspired, which I've said on previous episodes. I enjoy anime, so I'm down with that. I like the bursts. I like the use of the sorcery points. I'm always down with additional ways to use sorcery points to really give you options. That's what sets the sorcerer apart, so why not, right? Setting up with a Triton. I just did it with a Triton to kind of come up with a new idea for my backstory, and I've, I'm happy with where that landed, but I would not play a Triton gun mage. I would probably play a halfling. So props to Crit Academy boys, Justin Ian, and Brandon on the gun mage. Really fun. You guys should download that. What about you? So, I really like what they did here with the Path of the Brawler. And I also enjoyed the Gun Mage quite a bit, so props on that. But the Path of the Brawler is basically the most controlling Barbarian that I have seen. And they did it through a very organic uh, progression by just concentrating on what's already baked in the cake with the advantage on the strength checks, giving you advantage on grapples. I don't really touch on it ever when I feature a Barbarian on this show, and actually I kind of forget that they get advantage on strength checks during Rage. So they took that and they really exploited it and then gave it sort of a monk edge. I would have liked to see the Unarmed Strike dice kind of uh, grow as the level progression kept going, but I think what they were doing there was they knew that more attacks were coming at later levels, so really the dice did not need to grow with it. So I really like what all the stuff that you can do here, and I do think, even though we did dismiss the ally assist, this really does help allies. Grappling two guys at the same time and moving them around at 40-foot move speed is extraordinarily helpful. Guys, head on over to DMs Guild. We have the links to both of these supplements in our show notes, and give both of these a look-see. I believe they're $2 or so, so definitely worth the low asking price. And be sure to check out their other book for $9.99 on DMs Guild, Unearthed Tips and Tricks. That is a bestseller at this point, and it is worth that as well. All right, guys, I have tallied up the scores, and it is time to... Whoa! Okay, it looks like the Sending Stone has arrived, so before I announce the winner, we do have a message from Justin over at Crit Academy announcing the prize for this month's episode. Take it, Justin. Hello, Lab Rats. I heard that you were graduating from Crit Academy's most prestigious classes, and as the God King, it is my privilege to reward you with an amazing prize. I have requested that my squires, Ian and Brandon, search the Academy's vault for a most precious of gifts. They informed me that they dropped it off to Mr. Alan Barry, the Yawning Portal's courier, you know, the one who claims your parcels will arrive in a flash. Well, I hope that you will find your gift to be satisfactory. Congratulations and enjoy your beholder. It is a great way to keep away thieves and bandits, and will be a powerful tool on your adventures in the future. Ooh, yes. Garen, I get my very own Beholder. So I'm very excited for you to go ahead and calculate up them scores and announce me as the winner, baby. Okay, Dan, the scores are calculated, and I have texted you a picture of these scores so that you can see that after calculating... I went back and gave myself a minus one in the tankiness category to show you that even though I did that, I still beat you two to one. Oh, no. Fair enough. But you have to promise me when you get the beholder, you just don't point the eye at me. I need to still be able to cast my spells, man. I can't have that anti-magic field on me. Whoa. Well, Dan, you don't have to wait any longer because I'm going to share this beholder with you. Might be a spectator, might be a gazer. 
How did that box get in here? We got open portals all over the place. Oh, man. We really need to fix that. Yeah, don't pee in the second toilet because that's not a toilet. Oh, all right. Yeah, noted. All right, I cut this bad boy open. Here we go. Behold. Oh, ah! oh. oh. it's really a holder full of bees. Oh, my God. They're everywhere. Wait. Oh, oh, one got in my mouth. Oh. Dan, we got punned again. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, thank you, Crit Academy. We wouldn't be where we were without ah. your support along the way. Ah. They're extremely it's welcoming, and they gave us an episode feature when we were so young. Thank you guys so much. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Oh my god. god. Uh, Benjamin Huffman has one of the best-selling products of all time on DMs Guild. Be sure to tune in next week if you aren't oh. familiar with him, uh, because you get to see what he has to offer and what you need in your collection. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. We got to go, guys. Oh, right in the pee hole. It's in the pee hole. They got the idea what you're talking about, and they're in my, oh, they're in both the pee holes. Remember, Lab Rats, ow, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun! We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of Fight Clubs, Monster Labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working Working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab, and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. And I got a hankering for a hunk. It's Dan here. This week we are presenting... You just put stuff in there to see if I read <laughs> yeah, it. Just to see if you'll say it. Now, I told myself that I would never say, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show before, because every time I've heard myself say that, when I'm listening to the episode, I go, oh, I remember when we talked about this before. But I don't recall talking about pyrotechnics. Okay? Oh, really? So, because I featured it three weeks ago. I said exactly really? what it did. I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm being honest. I literally said what it did three episodes ago okay so guys i'm not gonna do it go back and listen three episodes ago <laughs> but we can agree it's a control based spell